Lord, what a blessing it is to see your You see a scripture up there, Matthew 23, 14. Um, I'd like for you to turn there. It might be a few minutes before we get there, but we'll get there. Amen. <laughs> Matthew 23, 14. <clears throat> be authentic. This was kind of a last-minute change for me. I, uh, I had something else on mind that I wanted. I thought I was going to be preaching on today and ministering, but I feel like this is actually the direction that the Lord wanted me to go, so I'm going to go with it. Um, Father, I just want to praise you and thank you, Lord, for uh, the call to be authentic. An opportunity, Jesus, for us to see that the plan that you have for us is not to uh, allow anything in our life to make us other than what you've called us to be. And Lord, to regard that, even when there's difficulties and trials that come along with being an authentic person, even though the culture says and basically commands us to be otherwise, Lord, even though sometimes the church culture gets in the way of being truly authentic. That God, we just want to pray that you will minister to us and lead us back, Father, where we struggle in these areas of life because there's so many battles on the front of just being a genuine person. And Lord, especially a genuine Christian where we don't have to put on, we don't have to make believe, we don't have to be fake about anything or hypocritical about the way that we live. And yet, Jesus, the difficulty is, is that unless we get there, we're going to miss the greater plan of God in our life. And so I just want to pray today, Lord, that you will lead us together, not just as individuals, but especially, Lord, as individuals, but as a corporate body, Lord, as we envelop, Lord, together, that we are not uh, a, a body of people who look on the surface to be one thing, but the reality is in our heart we're something else. But God, together, we're, we're authentic. We're an authentic representation of Jesus by the way that we live and what we do here. So Jesus, I want to thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, and for brothers and sisters who are truly their deepest cry on their heart is to live this life completely, as fully and as completely as they can for you, Lord. And what that means, and we just want to praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's a few thoughts I wanted to throw in at the beginning of this, some of my assumptions. And I gather that they're probably some of your assumptions as well. But when it comes to this area of being authentic, just some of my uh, assumptions here. And one of these is there's an incredible tension built into our world to fit in. And, and I, I think that I feel like that even in a church culture just to fit in. Sometimes just to be able to stand up here and be able to express the Word of God, I have these weird fears of what you think. 
what, what feels good to you, what feels right for you. And, and you know what's interesting is, is that most of the time it's not on the basis of whether it's true doctrine or it's even biblically based. It's just, did it feel right? And so sometimes I get that fear of your perception, what you think. And the reason I'm saying that is because I think that, that is something that's general over so many of us. All of us can say, I wonder what somebody thinks. And sometimes, you know, we feel we fit right in with our friends, but then with other people, we just don't feel like we fit in. So I would say there's an incredible tension built into our world, in the church world, as well as the world itself, just to fit in. The difficulty is we have so much complexity of division of this is what I believe, this is what you believe. We just get into the political arena and there's no fitting in. There's no way that we can get there. So then we take the next extreme and we're like, we're not going to fit in, but we're going to be boldly forceful in the way that we feel. And we're just going to stand on that. So before we know it, um, it's not about whether it's right or it's wrong. It's just this is how I feel about the thing, and that I'm just going to push it forward. So there's an incredible tension to do that. And another part of that is don't make waves. I think today there's a whole lot of this don't make waves. And then for those who are making waves, they're full bore just pushing forward. But we, we get that feeling like if you'll just settle in and you just won't do anything that's, that's bothersome or against the flow, you're accepted in the crowd. And it's just easier to be accepted than it is to go against the flow. Number two, one of my other assumptions is there's a very strong cultural perception that we cannot be authentic. And what I mean by that is, is that, first of all, if you're uh, somebody who's successful, you can be authentic in your success. But if you're somebody who has struggle or weakness or any area of your life that you just feel like, Needs, you need help in, we certainly just can't make that known. We can't share with people our own faults and be authentic in the fact that we're human beings or that we failed in any way. One of the greatest struggles that I, that I see these days is, is that when it comes to the area of being able to share something that's a brokenness or being vulnerable with people, you almost can't find that. It's just almost not there. And so we just have the sense of, I can't be authentic. Don't ask me, don't force me to try and be completely genuine of where I'm at. And you know what? Genuineness includes both your failures and your successes, what you're good at and what you're not good at. But in our culture, what we're trying to do is promote only what we're good at and what we're exceptional in. And we don't have, we just want to have no interaction with the places where we're struggling. But in order to get to the place where we're genuine, we have to deal with both of those things in our lives. There's no way around it. The third thought behind this, and this is my assumption, identity confusion, which also leads to gender confusion, does not make it any easier. People are saying, you hear this all the time, even in Christians, that um, I'm needing to know my identity. We're struggling to understand our identity today. Who am I? What am I? What is my purpose? What is the design of my life? And it's interesting, and I want to say this carefully, but I want to say that some of us have biblical doctrine that's hiding reality. It's not that the doctrine itself is hiding. It's that we are hiding behind it. In other words, we won't come out and deal with 
some of the realities of our life because we're supposed to be better than what we are. We're supposed to be better Christians. We're supposed to be more holy people. We're, we're supposed to be better disciples for Jesus. And we're just, we just feel like we're falling behind in the early church example and we're not living it up. And so when we come in, we have to put on a display oftentimes. And it's not the real you. And it's not where you're really at. And because of that, Jesus can't get in there and mold and shape something that we're creating to be in place of the model and the work that He's wanting to do in our life. So there's this confusion of identity. Lord, I'm struggling today. How many of us feel free? If somebody says, how are you doing? How many of us honestly, with a raise of hands, can say, I feel like I can tell them the honest truth when it's my worst day? I've got a few hands that say we do that. Now, there's <laughs> did I miss anybody? Because I'm not sure. i got a few hands. Did I miss anybody? So most of us here, what I'm get, capturing in this, most of us would say, I don't feel like I can honestly tell people where I'm really at for the day, where I'm struggling in. And I think that's a reality of our culture, and that's part of this message today. So I want to also talk about some of these false assumptions. This is what I would say are false assumptions. Number one, people are not genuine because they are deceived. People are genuine in their deception. Some people are. Some people are very much, this is how I view it, this is what I believe. And the reason why is because they actually believe it's true. Deception to them is absolutely true. So they're not playing games with it. They're following along. And probably in deception, that's you'll probably find some of the most authentic people in areas of deception than you will in areas of truth. We have, more of, we have more capacity to second guess what is true than what is deception. Because when you're dealing with what's true, you're actually opening your heart to being careful not to be deceived. But when you're in deception, you think you've got all of the truth set in place and you don't need to know if there's anything that you're doing wrong. It's all right there. So there's so much pride involved in the, the deception that we actually have general tendencies is to be more confident in it. But I would say the real issue is in hypocrisy. Go there to Matthew 23, verse 14, and we'll read that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayer. Therefore, you shall receive the greater condemnation. Listen to how Jesus is presenting this. He's saying that your hypocrisy, so you could be deceived and very much not hypocritical about what, you de what you're deceived about. But Jesus is saying the problem here where the pretense comes in is in the areas of hypocrisy. And that's why I say we need to be genuine because anything outside of that genuineness and authenticity is hypocrisy. Anything outside of genuineness and authenticity is a form of hypocrisy. Some lighter forms, some greater forms of hypocrisy. But the reality is because it's not genuine, it's not true. 
And so that's why I actually have a great admiration for those of you who raised your hands and said, I can be genuine when it comes to saying to somebody, they ask me, how are you doing? And I can say on my worst day how I'm really feeling. And I'm sure we all struggle with that. And it's not that's the focus of the message. But the reality is that's kind of where we live. And so what we really need is to be able to look at it and say, Lord, I know what you said. But this even this struggle that I'm having is almost as if it's a disregard for what you said. And we need to be truthful with that. We need to be honest about this is what God said, but I'm having a hard time being able to accept that emotionally I'm stirred or whatever might be. And I'm dealing with the fact that there's maybe this hypocritical rise within me. And the hypocrisy is this. To say I absolutely firmly stand on something that I'm really actually doubting. Sometimes the questions that are in somebody's minds need to be resolved before they can go forward. And we can't just say, just just believe what it says and have no sense of question at all. Sometimes those questions go deeper than just give me a pat answer and I'm good enough with that. I need to know on a deeper level things that concern this issue. And the problem is, is sometimes we're not educated enough and grounded in the Word of God to be able to give an answer for those who ask us about our faith. We just don't spend time in Scripture enough to be able to give an answer for somebody who asks a hope for the reason of our faith. And that's going to be a difficult thing because we can't just say, well, I said a couple Scriptures to you. That's enough. We've got to actually help them understand. Another one of what I call, what I would say is a false assumption is believers do not contribute to the cultural struggle against authenticity. That Christianity is not a part of this problem. And I will say true Christianity shouldn't be in the way that Jesus intended it to be is not. But a lot of what we see in Christianity today is. And the reason I say that is a lot of unresolved issues are buried under a profession of faith. How many of us know long before somebody comes to a place of repentance, a Christian, especially in an area of their life, that they've been professing a long time and saying, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. And yet, in the background of their life, they're falling over and over and over again in the same area. As if they're wanting to say, the real breath of heart in my soul is to say, God, please, I need freedom. But I don't have that freedom, so this is my replacement for freedom. This is what I have instead of. And so you will have a lot of unresolved issues buried under a profession of faith. And we're afraid to talk about the problems and the issues in life. Look here in Romans chapter 2, verse 24. Romans 2, 24. And the reason I say that is because wherever hypocrisy comes up, these are the things that we see happen. In Romans chapter 2, 24. And the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. So the Paul is writing here and he's saying that many of you have had, you say that you, you affirm the law, but in your life and what you do is in opposition to it. 
And there's so many things. Basically what he's doing is he's giving a whole chapter devoted to hypocrisy. He's dealing with hypocrisy. And he says you have something in your mouth that you're saying. And Jesus said it too. He said you worship God with your mouths. You honor him with your lips. But your heart is far from him. And so there's a need. that There's an authentic need for even this to come out. I need to know. You need to know that this is a safe place. That whenever I'm struggling with something. That I don't go the direction of hypocrisy. I go the place of confession. I have brothers and sisters that will be there and wrap their arms around me and pray with me and accept this as if they were their own struggle of their own, that they would with meekness restore such a one and that we would go and seek to restore our brother and sister. And we need to know that this is an environment that that can happen in and in your own home and in your private place when you're talking to somebody and you're discipling others, they need to know that you are a safe place for them to be able to share the burdens of their heart. Because if you're not, if you are not a safe place for that to happen, they will go the direction of hypocrisy. Because the only left ground left is to hide reality and not face it. And so we think of this kind of in the direction of like doctors and physicians. And how many people... That the, one of some of their greatest fears is to go see the doctor. And especially if you got a lump somewhere or there's something going on with your body and it's bothering you. And you have this like, I don't want to go see the doctor feel. And so when you go to the doctor, the whole of seeing the doctor is, is that you can't be hypocritical about what's wrong. You can't act like it's not there if it's there. If they look at it and all the tests have shown and they can adequately prove you have a problem going on inside of you, you can't say it's not there. And if you do, it's just a lie to yourself. And I'm afraid that that's the culture we're living in. We're a culture, even a Christian culture, that we are of the attitude that we can lie to ourselves and to others around us because we can just hide our problems beneath the Scripture. I remember I had one guy, he was a prison, he was an inmate, and he had come out and he had shared this story with me. And he said a lot of these inmates, they were hiding behind the Bible. They were hiding behind the Bible. There was his, ultimately what he was saying is, is that if you knew them more truth, truthfully as an inmate along with them, you'd see the hypocrisy that was crying out in their lives. And you know what I would say? I think a lot of people are stuck in hypocrisy not intentionally. I don't think that the, the intended result is. It's because they don't feel like they have a, a source to go to, to be able to empty of the problem that's going on in their life. So the other thought that I want to say is moral failure tempts us to hide the truth about ourselves. One man once said to me, there's always a chapter in somebody's life that they don't want anybody to read. And I think that we can look back in our past and say there's been times in my life that I absolutely regret what has been in the past. But what a comfort to find a brother or a Christian that's been there that's been there to help guide you through those situations and those lives. Somebody that wasn't there just to judge you for your failures, but there to help you to find your way to the cross. And so in James chapter 5, and I think this is a very powerful scripture, very powerful scripture, James chapter 5. You will have heard me say this probably many times. Verse 16, confess your faults 
one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I often tell people, um, I don't want to know the whole story. I don't know. I don't want to know all the details, but I want to know enough that I can pray for you specifically. Don't be so general that I miss the actual specific area of prayer that I need to be. So prayer is actually impacted by this genuineness. And it says, confess your faults. It didn't say confess your successes. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, and I think, how many of you remember when I was talking about vulnerability? Some of you may not have been here. And I brought my chainsaw. How many of you remember that? I'm looking for some hands. Anybody remember? I got some room. Good. So what did it, if you remember right, when I was talking about this chainsaw, one of the things I said was that this is a dangerous, very risky tool. It's so dangerous that it wouldn't but take seconds, and it's, an, it's a limb, it's an arm, it's a leg, and yet you still see people who've literally chopped off arms, legs, and limbs, and they're still using that thing. And they'll find a way to use one hand. They'll have it specially made just for, but why? With so much risk involved, with such a possibility, with our wives, that no, you will not use that thing, and just the, the pushback and the tension from our own homes, how is it that we still get away with using this thing? Knowing the risk that goes on with it. Because we see the value of it. And so this is something that I want to say is the value of authenticity comes behind confession. And let me say it this way. If I'm basically trying to hide my story and I'm not really confessing it, and that's a part of, it says, confess your sins and He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So I decide to hold back with God and I decide to hold back with brothers and sisters and just say that, you know, like I've offended in some area with, say, Mark here, and I've, I've done something to him that's really hurt and offended him in some way. And I come to him with a general confession, not a specific confession. I just say, brother, if I've hurt you in any way, I'm sorry. If I've hurt you in some way, is that good enough to bring restoration between the two of us? And some people, when we really think of confession, we need to realize that the heart of the confession is the genuine, full, complete confession. Lord, I'm sorry because this is what I've done. And there's this sense of sometimes people are saying it with their lips, but when they're confessing, you, you, it's obvious. It's obvious that I'm just trying to get past the guilt complex in my life. I'm really not trying to make my way to the cross. I'm really not trying to get the covering, the full covering of Jesus and what's suitable to Him. I'm just struggling with the guilt in my life. And there's so many examples of that that we see here. Confess your faults truthfully, genuinely, one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Isn't it awesome? The Scripture, the way it sets it up, it basically it puts the healing behind the confession. So that if there's somebody in life, and you can see this, there's people who have not been genuine in their confessions, and that there's been this struggle of it to be healed. And there's been this struggle of being able to find God. And because of the lack of genuineness in the confession, it wasn't that they didn't say something, it's they didn't go all the way with it. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? And what in a story that we would read. And with these two individuals, 
they had sold their land and they brought part of the price. But there was deception hidden within what they had done. And Peter said, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. So much so that they died right there on the spot. That is a revelation of how much God regards the necessity of being completely genuine. And so in that, there was a hidden agenda. There was a lack of genuineness that was within it. And it was a lie to God. And honestly, I don't know if we really consider it that soberly. That when I'm not genuine, it's like lying to God. Now, maybe not on the same level, but it is in its own form. It's a form of a lie. God never intended that you should have to hide something about yourself so that people could agree with you. So that you could feel like you were better in His presence than you actually were. And that's why my heart is to say, if you've sinned, the moment you've sinned, make your way to the, to the throne of Jesus then. Don't think that time lapses makes, it, you, makes you any more suitable for Jesus then. You're completely naked and without covering, and you just need the Lord right then and there. And you need to know this is the time. You can't. Some of us think that time is actually the helper in that, and it's not at all. Another one of those false assumptions I would say is hiding is better than open sin. Hiding is better than open sin. Not really letting things come out in the open is better than open sin. And it's not true. There is not a bit of that that's actually true. And my heart goes out because I I can say we've all been, can't we say we've all experienced this on some level? It's like I just don't want to. And and we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. These aren't scriptures that I, I put on these notes. I just realized them at the moment. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the moment they're naked, they sinned. What do they do? Do they run to God and find their way back to the place where grace really is? No, they're, they're hiding from Him. They're hiding from Him. And there's a shame that comes with our nakedness. There's a shame that comes with sin. But there's no shame that's greater than hiding when you have. That's the greatest shame. Um, Another false assumption, number four, be yourself is the same as being authentic. And and I I thought about this and I was like, I got to be careful with this one. Because being yourself is kind of what we're saying is being authentic. But part of the struggle that I have with that is a little bit what I would call the definition of be yourself. And I don't hold that that's completely and fully authentic. And the reason I say that is because one of the things that I see most of the time, and I define it based on what is the common and the norm, and that's this. The being yourself generally in our culture means we exclude other people from that picture. That it's not inclusive to others and about the feelings of others and the heart of other people. It's just how I feel in my world. It's completely subjective And it's almost completely centered around self. So when I'm about being myself, it's in complete disregard of the environment of the people around me if I'm not careful. And I think that that's generally what we're talking about when we say be yourself. We're also saying loosen up and try not to be a hypocrite or put on for other people. And I believe that's the other side of the definition. And that I would call probably has more the authentic view to it. But when I want to talk about authentic, 
I'm actually wanting to bring a wholeness to the idea of authenticity and not a partial idea to being authentic. And see, that's what's profound about Jesus is that he was perfectly authentic in everything that he said and he did. And nobody could take away from that at all. So what makes genuineness difficult? And I think I've talked about a few of them, but I want to talk about some specifics that just came to my mind. One of them is this. Criticism comes <clears throat> before encouragement. I had a, a guy one time, I was uh, ordering a part. I was, I was actually trying to find out when I was ordering uh, from KIE, uh, it was a weather sensor for a sprinkler system. And, and I had asked him, I said, what kind of feedback have you gotten on this? And this is, he said, um, I haven't really gotten much for feedback. And so then I kind of stepped back in the conversation. Like, oh, that's not good. He just said, no, that's good. And I was like, so what do you mean? And he says, because if there was a problem, people would tell me. But people don't go out of their way to tell you what they like about you. It really caught me. And I remember having taken uh, my carburetor in to get rebuilt at one of the auto, part, auto shops here. And after it was done, I thought about that and I especially thanked him for his service and what he had done. And I realized that's the world we're living in. We're living in a world that decides that criticism comes before encouragement. And isn't that probably, I would say probably 90% of the reason for struggles in divorce situations in homes. Obviously, there's a lot of other things that fit out of that category. But I believe because we have the tendency to find the fault with one another, no matter where we're at, we find that first and we capitalize on that. The next thought is the point of conflict uh, is over the place of agreement. So when you get into talking with somebody, what do you notice first? You notice first the point where you disagree. And I had this situation happen to me when I was working in Walla Walla. And I had this guy come in and he asked me this question. He was, I believe, a Christian man. And he was kind of trying to test how I believed about, I think, somewhere in Corinthians. And he says, what do you think about this? And he gives me the scripture about this scripture. And I decide, you know what? I don't know where he's going with this. So I decided I'm going to ask him, well, what do you think about it? So he did. He went ahead and told me how he felt about it, his thoughts. And I didn't say another word. And then after he was done, he had another scripture. He says, well, what do you think about this scripture? And I did the same exact thing again. And I said, well, what do you think about it? And he said, and he told me what he thought. And after that, I finished helping him. He, uh, and just before I was done, this is what he said to me. Without ever revisiting and asking me, so what do you think about that? This is what he said when I was just done finishing helping him out. He said, you're a true brother. It really caught me because for the first time I realized he had the impression that I agreed with him because I hadn't said anything that gave him the indication that I disagreed. And for, for him, that was enough to say that I was true with him. And interesting, I'm like, how can you say, this is my thought, how can you say I'm a true brother based on your definition of this without even knowing how I feel about this. But it just unpacks for us that we have this idea of that if there's a point of conflict, then we latch on. And we already know we're divided the moment we express something that's different about each of us. 
And there's hardly anything in this that places the emphasis on where's the agreement. So when you have conflict, and I don't know about you, but resolving conflict, I think the biggest step is find out where you agree. Figure out where it is that you're of the same mind. And then branch from there and work away from that. Don't start with the point of disagreement. Not generally, I would say. Being understood is generally more important than understanding. So when I'm talking to somebody, my objective is what? My objective, maybe your objective, is to be understood first. I want you to understand me. That's the problem. We don't go with the emphasis, I want to understand you, even if you don't get to the place where you understand me. That's what makes genuineness a difficulty. It's hard to be genuine in a culture that lives like this. It's hard to be that way. We will make an issue over, listen to this, we'll make an issue over the way something felt rather than if it is true. Rather than if it's true. Again, I've had an experience with this. A guy tells me something and I'm like, he's like, he does it in a way that's really obnoxious. And then I go in and I'm like, I got to find out if it's true. And he was right. The next day I go to him and I said, you were right. Thank you for telling me that. But I didn't want to do it because I didn't like the way he said it. But the fact was, it was true. And I wonder if we're basing our decisions about what God wants and about how we like even church on the basis of the way it feels more than on the basis of it's true. Now, it is important to know the way things feel, but first of all, is it true? Is it true? And then lastly, vulnerability is risky. That's why it's so hard to be genuine. It is so risky. You put yourself on the line in one moment. Somebody does something to hurt you by trying to be faithful here. And bam, you're like, it's not worth it. And how many people, I know relationships have been broken. And now it's just like it's a repeated factor over and over again. And I will not be vulnerable with you. But the best relationships are those that are bound up with vulnerability and, sens and sensible to the fact that we're being genuine with one another. God's way is the best way. So <clears throat> I think this is the most important part about it because I'm bringing out kind of the negativity, but this is the important. Faith is authentic. You know, when we talk about faith, it, it has something to do with the fact that it's packed into being sincere. You know, and I, this is the difference. Is I think this, I want to say this, and again, I want to say it carefully. There's a huge difference between make-believe and faith. But I don't know that we've quite gotten the picture of which one's which. Because a lot of times we're trying to make it be true, whether it is true or not. And we're not convinced. And, you know, it says Abraham, it said that he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Fully persuaded. So what I believe is faith rests on, are you fully persuaded? Without a shadow of a doubt. Or can we be busy about the, the, the struggle of, I really doubt that it's true, but I'm going to try and profess it to be so anyway. There's something dispositionally wrong in our hearts when we get stuck in that area of life. 
And we should be talking about sincerity just as much as we should be faith. We really should be. We talk about faith so much so that we forget what is packed into this faith. And so when we see the life of the apostles and the disciples, these men gave everything that they had because they truly and fully believed in it. And so they were completely authentic in how that they lived their life. And so I think that it's super important that we realize that that's true. is Because for me, I have those struggles in, in my life where I'm like, I just can't be authentic with this person because of the way that they will... They, will work through the, they, they won't work through that with me. But when I get to that point, then before I know it, I'm beginning to get used to a, a pattern, a habit, as it were. And are we getting used to habits of not being genuine? Are we getting used to being in habits of not being genuine? Go to John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. John 15, 18 through 20. John chapter 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. These are, some, these are hard words to swallow because basically Jesus is saying to be genuinely what I have called you to be, you will be hated. That's going to be part of the whole picture here. Like you're not going to be accepted. You're not going to be loved. You're not going to be cherished. You're not going to be liked. So why in the world do I want to accept this? Why do I want to hold on to? And I say because you see the value of it. Sincerity is knowing for yourself the value of your union to Christ. The reason why we'll betray that union, the reason why when things get hot, when things are hard and difficult, when it actually requires a deep sacrifice that may be life-threatening and some will let go of it is because they didn't see the value of what Jesus was or who he was in their life. Not truly. And so in this sense, what I see here is that value makes a sacrifice a privilege, not a cost. The value makes the sacrifice a privilege, not the cost. We hear so much about the cost of discipleship, but I think it's really the the privilege of discipleship. Because in our world, and this is, the, this is the thing we need to pay attention to, is sacrifice is the investment we make on what is of true worth. On our homes. Perfect example. How many of us have spent 15 to 30 years of our life trying to pay for the house that we live in? Okay? So you made a huge sacrifice to live in the home you live in. If it wasn't of value, would you have done it? If you could have saw something better for a better price, would you have given so much to what you have now? So the idea is this, is that the sacrifice is not a sacrifice in a sense because the value of it is worth more than what you're going through. And until we can see that Jesus is an unlimited value, then we're not going to understand the reason and the importance of the sacrifice that goes into our Christian life to be able to be faithful to God. And thereby we struggle to be genuine in our Christian life. And the reason why is because take these words that Jesus said, and he said to his disciples, if you follow me, if you're genuine in your commitment to me, it means you're going to be hated. Now, 
transitioned this to somebody who's not genuine and who's in this half-heartedly or partially. And are you? Th- do you really think that they're going to go that far? That they're really going to allow themselves to be hated and treated like the offspring of the world and like a sheep before its shearer is, is dumb? You're going to also be that sheep and you're going to be it to the slaughter? Not on your life. In other words, what I'm trying to say is is that when we're talking about Christianity, we need to step into the level of what we call maturity. And maturity, in this sense, is I have to have an authentic relationship with Jesus. It can't be less than an authentic relationship with Jesus. Because if it does, it will fall away. And I think Jesus expressed it well. And He talked about the different soils and the ground that the seed fell upon. And he said some would with joy receive the word of God for a time. But then when the tribulations and trials and persecutions had come, they fell away. There was something about that individual that wasn't genuine. The genuineness wasn't finally formed within their heart in their commitment to Christ. And so what I, th- I see this is, is that there's a, there's a great number of people, and this seems to be our culture, will step into the gospel if it means restoration, if it means financial security, if it means the fullness and the happiness of life. And, and don't get me wrong, I believe God does that to, for all of us. But all of us are going to go through the trial of our faith being much more precious than gold, though it be tried with fire. All of us will go through trials by fire. And what it's doing, and God wants to reveal the church and the nature of His people, is it genuine? Is it genuine? And so we had a conversation with the men on Monday. And in that conversation, we were talking about how COVID and what's happened with COVID has stripped the church. And we see so many people who are, uh, they kind of left the church or they've left being a part of a fellowship or they've left basically God's people and, and uh, for something far less than because of COVID. But, you know, I want you to think about something. I think that, you know, this has revealed the nature of the church. If we're not careful, it's done both. It's discouraged those who are wanting to come in, but it's also revealed there's some people who were willing and content just to worship, to feel good. Some people, it's just a social environment that I'm comfortable with. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, and really when it's that sacrifice, and for me, you know, we've all gone through it, haven't we? We've all been tested in different ways. And I just think, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm the great Christian and I've showed more fortitude than the rest. All I can say is is that when I see the heat turned up and I hear complaining about it, I'm also thankful. Because when the heat is turned up in our lives, it brings the dross to the top. All the impurities come to the top. And I want to say that the Lord allows that because He wants to cleanse an environment that has partial partiality and hypocrisy mixed in with it in order to bring out the body of Christ, to bring out those, the lovers and the genuine lovers of Jesus. And so when we see this, 
and, and I remember a preacher once commented on Elijah when he prayed. You know, it said that he prayed for the drought. He didn't pray against the drought. And when he got the drought, there was a lot of struggle that happened. But what you saw in that was a whole army of false prophets and worshipers of Baal. And Elijah steps up to them and they're crying out and cutting themselves and all kinds of sacrifice in what they were doing. And Elijah says, okay, go ahead. Let's prepare this and throw water all around the place in a famine, in a drought. And you're going to take all the water you got and you're going to fill this up. And then he prays and he says, let the God that comes by fire, let him be God. And I don't know, but I would say fire represents a cleansing. And what we have is a church that needs to be praying, God, please cleanse us. Don't protect us from the cleansing fire. Don't protect us from the thing that's going to manifest genuineness and reality in our life. Don't let us get caught up in American culture Christianity and not get lost in the revelation of the Christianity of the book of Acts. Don't let us get lost in what it means to be a Christian in our day and get relaxed in what it is. So we're, here you have a prophet who says, God, come by fire. And then he looks at all the prophets and he says, um, if Baal be God, serve him. But if God is God, serve him. And there's this draw line. And there is right now, whether we're seeing it or not, there's this draw line. And I believe God is drawing the line over his people. And he's saying, if Baal be God, then serve him. If God is God, let him be your God. But let the God that comes by fire for the church and be there for us. And I believe the true Christian at heart has said, Lord, I'm not afraid of the fire. I'm not afraid of you working in my life because it's a cleansing work of Jesus. And I want to be cleansed and I want to be holy. For Lord, your word says you're coming back for a holy church without spot or wrinkle. A holy church without spot or wrinkle. And the grace is there to help us into that. The grace of God helping you into the fire of God so that you can come out a child of God. Pure. You know, and it's, it's not just that we just profess, Lord, I love you, but it's been impacted and challenged. And there's been trial to go along with it. And I love, you know, Peter, after he's been a failure, and he, he literally denied Jesus. And Jesus is there right one more time with him, and he looks Peter in the eye and says, Peter, do you love me? You know, Peter needed this question. At this time, Peter needed it because Peter had gone through the fire. Peter was now tried. Peter was purified. And Jesus said, I will be there. You'll be interceded for during this time. But when you're converted, strengthen your brothers. And here he is. And Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says it again. And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says it one more time. And Peter with tears. And he's grieved. I love the fact that it says he was grieved. Because genuineness has nothing to flaunt anymore. And you look at Peter, and Jesus saw something in Peter. And Peter said, Lord, I will go with you to death. And Jesus said, no, you're not. You're not going to go with me to death. Peter, there's a lack of genuine reality here. And you're not seeing it, but I do. And Jesus wasn't going to let Peter escape this reality and walk on through the church doors and back out again being the same old Peter that he was, there was going to be a transformation change in Peter's life. And Peter was going to go, I believe, when you read in the story of Peter and it said that he wept, he went and wept bitterly. 
I can only imagine what that looked like. Because every bit of self-confidence that was built into Peter was now abolished, destroyed. He had known that he was a failure to Jesus. And I can guarantee that when he looked at Jesus' mercy to him, it looked completely different than it did before. He now saw the mercy of the Lord for a man that's as corrupt as he was. And there was genuineness in that last final. He was grieved and he said, Lord, you know that I love you. You've put it to the test. You've let me go through the fire. I've been challenged on the deepest level. There's no human hope. There's nothing in the human depravity of Peter that's ever going to be successful in your kingdom. And you walked me through that fire and you brought life to me. And there's a genuine transformation, Lord. I'm not going to be the man who boldly says, I'll go with you to death. I just say, Lord, I'm humbly broken before you. And God makes something of those men and women. God does something through their life. And I'm so grateful to be a part of that right here in this church. As I'm saying it to you and sharing it to you, it's just something that's deep as a part of my heart. And I say, Lord, I don't want you to spare me. I want you to purify me. I don't want the good life. I want the, the glorious life. I want what you planned for me all the way. And I believe that that's the same thing here, that we, we gather together over and over again with the threats. Oh, God knows that I've ignored listening to half of them because I'm like, I don't know what can happen and I don't know why, but I just know this, that I want to do what I'm doing right now. And I want to be, a de- I want to be intimately involved in the lives of brothers and sisters who deeply love Jesus. Amen. Praise God. So I want to take a time um, for the, to have the worship team come up, and I want to give an, an altar call here. Um, you know, sometimes when I do this, I, I realize this is kind of difficult, but what I, we could all say to a degree, we could all be up here for every altar call and be right in doing it. And I'm totally fine with everybody spending their time before the Lord.